This is the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast interview with Trent Barrick. Yeah, it was just the energy, right? Like it was the energy. And and I kind of knew deep down hospice was at home. And I knew when I found rehab, I found more of my home. I found more of me, the, the part of me that came alive because I've always been like a like a little inner cheerleader, you know, without being a cheerleader, you know. <laughs> I can't do, you know, a high kick. You don't want to see it. But I, I just had, a, I have a lot of energy and I have a lot of excitement that I kind of had to put on the back burner most days, you know, in hospice. I could get excited and celebrate, but, but not to the degree that I had energy for, um, if that makes sense. So, so I just found that hospice was exactly what I needed to build the foundations and just to get me professionally, clinically, where I needed to be in order to shine in the place that was, you know, just, just able to bring more of me out. Right. And it was awesome because I didn't know what I was doing. Not really, especially my first day. And here's what's fun. You can shine even with imposter syndrome. You're listening to the music therapy chronicles podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Today's conversation with Trent is energetic and enthusiastic and honest and vulnerable and was such an enjoyable one. Today's episode is going to be part one of my conversation with Trent and we talk all about his journey into music therapy and um, switching from hospice music therapy to uh, recovery-based music therapy and also how he has gotten involved with animal-assisted therapy and tied that into music therapy. So this is a very exciting conversation. Um, Part two next week will include more of Trent's music and uh, his thoughts behind that. So definitely Make sure you're subscribed to the show so you don't miss that episode. Follow us on social media. We are at Music Therapy Chronicles on all of the platforms. And if you are interested in both supporting the show and getting CMTEs for listening to the podcast, you can find CMTE opportunities over at mtpodcastcollective.com. All right. Let's get into this conversation with Trent. All right, Trent, welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Thank you. Thank you um, so much for being here. I really appreciate your time and your energy and 
uh, the listeners don't know, but we've already been connecting and I, I'm ready for, for them to hear some of the wisdom that's just pouring out of you already. I, I appreciate that. That's, that's super kind. I'm, I'm stoked to be here. Super stoked. I don't know where this conversation is going to go, but that's part of the fun. Yes. And so whoever's listening, you know, I hope that you have some cookies and that you're willing to eat them and just enjoy the next however long that we have because it's just fun. You just never know what's going to happen. There's so many roads we could take. Yeah. Oh, so true. So to start us off, will you tell the listeners about yourself? And it could be music therapy related. It could be not music therapy related. Anything about you? Yeah. Well, so I was born and raised in Kentucky. So I actually grew up on a small farm next to a lot of cows and not that many people. It was very family oriented and it was very much um, a, a very wholesome experience, a very sheltered experience. And it was super just Andy Griffith show was on every week, you know, just like it was, it was really kind of sweet, you know, to be honest with you, my mom was originally from Miami, Florida, like, you know, your husband, and she had it in her to kind of raise her kids away from the city, but more in a sheltered environment because of some of the things that she experienced growing up mm -hmm. that she just wanted to protect her kids from, you know, and, and of course, I had no idea what she meant by that. Uh, I was, you know, as a kid, you're just, you're living the life that you're given and you're doing the best that you can do. And the only worldview you have is really the ones that your parents create for you and the, you know, the world that the school and the people around you kind of create for you. And that's kind of the context that you grow up living your life and viewing life from. And so I always knew I had it in me to kind of go away because every time I saw my sister get on the school bus, Oh, I would cry and I would stand out the window and just be like, oh, I want to go to school. You know, like I just, I was, it was in me to go on an adventure and, mm -hmm. and I, I love adventure. I'm actually a very scared person. I, I, I have a lot of fear that I carry in me, but at the same time, I have this craving for adventure that helps me push past the fear and just go for it, whatever it is. And usually it's, it's best, you know, I'm a very social person, ENFP. I love just to have friends to join me on the journey. And uh, growing up, the first thing that I, I got a chance to do to spread my wings was go to school, you know, and I, I went a couple of hours away to the University of Louisville. Um, long story short, found music therapy and realized that it was for me. And I still didn't understand what music therapy was until my third year into school, to be honest mm -hmm. with you. Like, you know, it was like a junior when I started to get it and do some clinicals. But I just knew with my with my time, my talents, my desires, like this is an expression of, of who I am. And and I can, you know, there's there's such potential, you know, for this field to grow and, and for me to kind of do my own thing with it, uh, really, you know, wherever life would lead me. And uh, and so that's that's kind of it. You know, that's that's me in a nutshell. Uh, I'm a little ambitious. Uh, I'm a little rough around the edges. I'm learning a lot. I'm unlearning a lot. I'm open. I want to stay humble. I want to stay teachable. Um, I want to be kind. I want to, you know, see my friends win. I want to see all my friends win, you know, 
Uh, I want to see the people that you know are, are down the street that also has a music therapy business. I want to see them win. I want to see them grow in ways they want to grow. I just want to, you know, um, I just want to live life just without any any type of not regrets, but just what's the word? Ah. We're kind of going to have to edit that. No, but inhibition uh, is what's coming to me, but don't let me. Yeah, yeah. Words. Just inhibitions. Just like I, I want to do and see and, and just experience and just to honor mm. the people that's come before me, honor the people around me in the way that I can. Um, and that might look like listening. That might look like, you know, just having a meal that might look like, you know, being with them in really uncomfortable places that might be looking like for me, me sitting in the discomfort while I unlearn, you know, about, uh, you know, and, and, and just embrace what it is to be a white male in America. Right. Mm. Um, and so this is kind of where I'm at now in this season of, of living and learning and growing. And there's a lot of things happening. I have a lot of irons in the fire. I'm kind of everywhere, even, you know, to describe who I am. But at the core of me, I'm just Trenton. And uh, I just really love dogs. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear mine behind me, but she's starting to get antsy. <laughs> I was just saying that. I'm thinking, oh, I wonder why Mike's picking that up. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. But yeah, so that's my that's a, a bit of my journey. You know, um, I came from the University of Louisville, my professors at the time just really encouraged me to go travel as and go as far away as I could from Kentucky. And, you know, not to, you know, shed any negative light on Kentucky. Kentucky is wonderful. And they have just a wonderful people. Um, but but my professors knew the value of me being single. I had no roots, I had no ties, and I could go anywhere. And mm -hmm. so that's where I did. I, I actually applied to many places as far as I could, but the only place I felt peace was in Florida. And so I followed that peace and I came down and um, did hospice work for my internship. I actually got my internship. Uh, you know, they, they told me straight up, they're like, we had stronger candidates than you. But the reason that we gave it to you is because you said in your interview, you have, you have no hospice experience whatsoever. And we realized that our strength could really help you in your weakness and it could really help you grow in the way that you know we we know how to help you know and if you're open to accepting this internship we really think that we could help you know shape you and and help you discover things about yourself that you might have not known and so i said yes and i thought i was saying yes to six months and it's been almost 11 years oh wow and so i've come down yeah so I, I did not think I would make it in Florida, to be honest with you. I thought, you know, this is, I, I hate it here. When I first got here, I hated it. I was like, Florida sucks. You know, somebody's getting arrested every day, you know, doing the craziest stuff, you know, Florida man this and all this. And, and I was like, I can't, you know, breathe here. This isn't for me. But part of the reason was because I was lonely mm -hmm. and I just couldn't see, you know, I couldn't see that at the time. Um, you know, there was very strict regulations in my internship at the time that I couldn't be friends with with any of the coworkers, any of the music therapists because of some things that went down and with previous internships. So it was just a, a boundary in place for their safety, mm. which I respect. 
but it just made it all the more hard, you know? Yeah. And so I did my best. I joined a gym and eventually I found a church, you know, that I, I could connect with people there. And uh, I found, I actually ended up meeting some of my best friends, you know, that uh, I would never trade for anything. And I'm so excited that life did what life did and surprised me in the way that life does often because I really had set my mind on thinking this is the way I, I think life should go. And then I didn't know I needed life to be a certain way. Yeah. Right. And, and I just leaned into it, you know, and, and that's been, I think even the work in hospice, I, I stayed in hospice work for about four years and that's what I really took from it. Just the leaning in, you know, not putting pressure on, on a moment, but letting a moment be, letting a moment be sacred letting a moment be holy, letting a moment be um, sad, letting a moment be just redemptive or just sitting with the frustration, you know, that things didn't resolve the way we hoped and letting the moment show you how to go forward even when you don't have all the pieces or you don't have the knowledge on how to go forward. And you're just doing your best with the tools you got, you know. But ultimately, at the end of the day, hospice is about being in the community, for the community, being there for your neighbor, being there for your stranger, you know, the, the stranger that embraces you into their family at the end of life or near the end of life, you know, to help with this transition. And uh, there are many moments that, you know, as a, as a hospice music therapist, that you're able to be part of, of that, that moment, right? There's, a, there's plenty of moments that are special, uh, especially leading up to, you know, that moment, but everybody kind of knows that moment, you know, like when that, that transition happens. And let me just tell you, when you're part of something like that, you need Chick-fil-A like immediately <laughs> after, because it just hits differently. Yeah. You feel me? It hits differently because you give of yourself so much in that place and uh, it is rewarding but it is emotionally challenging as well right and mm -hmm. so you just have to it's, it's a dual reality you have to take it for what it is but but you also have to really think about self-care and self-love and just super you know as much as you pour out pour back into yourself and say hey i'm proud of you great job you know that was seriously something so special that was a gift right I used to be super scared to die and, and of death but now I view it as such a like almost like a newborn coming into the world right mm. um, especially in hospice where the goal is to make everyone not not so scared of, of passing away or, or dying and of course that's not always the case reality is people die comfortably people don't you know it's it's it can be traumatic it can be very scary um, but from what I've got to experience, you know, and I feel very fortunate that I've got to experience all this is that, uh, you know, to die can be beautiful. And uh, even if that's surrounded by strangers just coming to comfort you, you know, there's there's beauty in that. There's mm -hmm. beauty in that, you know. And I'm just, you know, I I'm just thankful that that was my foundation, you know, 20 years old right out of school, you know, just going into hospice work while everybody's kind of like doing their thing, clubbing, partying, and 
<laughs> I'm just like doing home health, working in hospice, coming home and just like eating Cheetos, you know, in my pajamas, just being like, I had a shitty day. Hold on. Like, let me like, <laughs> let me like process and let me maybe like go to the beach and let me go to bed. You know, that was how I spent half of my 20s. Um, but I will say this, that I didn't initially think I would ever do hospice, right? And it's an interesting thing that that peace was only there for hospice. Mm. And when I was in hospice, you know, it's a little cliche, but but hospice workers would tell me, you know, hospice, you don't you don't choose hospice. Hospice chooses you. And I, I carried that with me because there were some tough days. There were some tough days and, and things like that I held on to. And whether that's a soft science or that's kind of a, a pseudo thing to, to think, it didn't matter because that's what got me through, you know? And, and I felt, you know, just that, that force compelling me to keep going when, when the waves hit, you know, when the, when, the, when the grief came, when the burnout came, the waves were strong, mm -hmm. but there was that inner voice that just compelled me, hey, it, it's not time yet. There's still grace for you to keep going. And, and I did up until the point where the grace left. And when the grace left, you could feel it. You could, you could feel it. And I was like, you know, I, I got a piece out. Um, and then it just opened a brand new chapter to what I've been doing for the past six years. And that's uh, neurologic music therapy at a rehabilitation hospital. And so it's been a big jump, big jump, big culture change big strategy change, you know, working with patients that are actively, you know, passing away, thinking about how music can, you know, just, just aid and in, in symptom management to people getting a second chance at life again mm -hmm. and using music to address, uh, you know, needs and influence and retrain an injured brain in the realms of cognition, sensory motor and, and communication. And it's a steep learning curve, but honestly, it felt like me, like yeah. super me. I felt super connected to it. I can do hospice work, but it is so important for a music therapist to feel absolutely connected in their body to the work that they're doing mm. and, and to the people that, you know, they are serving with, with music and, you know, creating music together and empowering through music. It's incredibly important, um, you know, not just to live in a headspace, but to live fully present in your body, in your mind, and to be all there and not wishing you were someplace else. Mm. It's, it's important. And it's, it, that's a fight, right? That's a fight to, to keep in that place. Um, but it's, it's worth the effort and the work that it takes. Um, because there are just some special moments that you just don't want to miss. And it's an unfortunate thing when sometimes we can overload our plates, right? Yeah. Onto on one thing on top of each other. And especially I feel like as natural impacts, natural caregivers, if that's your wiring, you know, if you're an Enneagram two or an Enneagram three, um, 
you're going to see the need around you. You're going to know the need around you and you're going to try to do what you can to help address the need mm. where it is, right? Because you see it, you're immersed in it. You think I have the capacity. I can do this. This is great. But it's like becoming a candle that burns at both ends. Yeah. What happens? Right. That candle quickly diminishes and burns out super, super fast. And that's what we want to avoid. And uh, for me, I'm realizing especially in my work in hospice, there is something called like caregiver fatigue where we express to our caregivers, hey, you know, make sure that, you know, you're doing what you need for boundary, but as a therapist provider as well, we have to be conscious of overcaring mm. and not caring too much, but not managing how we care, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Making sure that there are better boundaries, better strategies, in our pursuit of caring for others, actively saying no. If you see the ball's about to drop, let it. Sometimes just let it because you can't save everything. You can't fix everything. Not everything is meant to, to be fixed, you know? Um, some things you just you just gotta let people learn. It's like it's like raising a kid. You just gotta let them learn to stand on their own two feet. Um, and that's a big lesson that I learned in rehab. You know, the, one of the first things I did was uh, a, a, they were a PT was throwing some uh, some little uh, sandbags sandbags on the floor and asking the patient to pick it up. And I was like, oh, no worries. I can get it. And the PT looked at me. She goes, you are a terrible therapist. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean I'm a terrible therapist? She's like, you're supposed to let the patient do that to gain their independence back. I was like, but don't they need help? So it's just rewiring the brain and understanding what help truly is, mm -hmm. especially in the context that you are, quote unquote, providing a service, right? So it's just being aware of your surroundings, being aware of what's going on, because sometimes you can kind of get in your own way mm -hmm. and not even realize it. And yeah, that's kind of... I'm not sure what we're talking about because I kind of forgot the original question, but I'm glad we're here. Yeah. <laughs> I love <laughs> when that happens because, uh, you know, this is your episode. So I am the firm believer that whatever you have to say, someone needs to hear. So that's awesome. Well, hopefully someone was encouraged by that or, you know, just they're like this kid. What's wrong with this kid? <laughs> no, no, I think it's it's what first struck me is um the internship saying to you, like, candidly, you weren't the strongest candidate for this, but we think that you will benefit from our training and then, you know, in turn, we'll benefit from that. And that sounds like it has just set you on this trajectory. Like, it, it helped you grow so much as a person to do what you're doing now. And like you said, that is a hard shift to go from, I feel like, hospice to anything is a hard shift because hospice yeah. care is is we all do unique things but i feel like hospice care is just so so unique there's carryover everywhere but um i feel like there's so the least amount of carryover there <laughs> just because yeah. of the nature of the work um so what drew you to make that shift in your career and in the clientele you're serving yeah, it was just the energy, right? Like it was the energy. And and I kind of knew deep down hospice was at home. Mm. And I knew when I found rehab, 
I found more of my home. I found more of me, the, the part of me that came alive because I've always been like a, like a little inner cheerleader, you know, without being a cheerleader, mm. you know, <laughs> I can't do, you know, a high kick. You don't want to see it, <laughs> but I, I just had, a, I have a lot of energy and I have a lot of excitement that I kind of had to put on the back burner most days, you know, in hospice. I could get excited and celebrate, but but not to the degree that I had energy for. Yeah. Um, if that makes sense. So so I just found that hospice was exactly what I needed to build the foundations and just to get me professionally, clinically where I needed to be in order to shine in the place that was, you know, just just able to bring more of me out, right? And it was awesome because I didn't know what I was doing. Not really, especially my first day. And here's what's fun. You can shine even with imposter syndrome. Mm. You really can. These, these thoughts of inadequacies and, and feelings of insecurities and like, I know this by the book, but I've never experienced it. I don't know if it's going to work. Just try. You just got to try and, and allow yourself to step into that place to be vulnerable and just see if things work out because it's a 50-50, you know, and what happens if it doesn't? You learn, and then you recover, and then you kind of save face, and you're like, oh, well, that didn't work. Oh, <laughs> well, let's try again, right? You try again, and that's what we teach, you know, the patients here. That's what we, re we really encourage, and so the first day that I was here, uh, after, you know, several years in hospice, my first day, I presented what music therapy was to all the staff, nurses, PTs, OT speech, neuropsych, doctors. And the first thing I did was open up with a song. And no one sang with me. Oh, like yeah. I invited everybody to <laughs> sing Bob Marley's Three Little Birds. Mm. And here I am singing everything is gonna be all right. And yo, no one was singing. <laughs> yo, I was like inside, I was like dying. I was like, this cannot be happening right now. And of course, you feel a lot of pressure, right? Cause yeah. you put, I put, I, I'm an Enneagram theory. I put pressure on myself. So I, um, you know, just kept on going. There was actually a PT that came up to me and was just like, listen, I, I heard what you had to say about the research and I'm a skeptic to be, be honest. I don't really believe it. It's kind of foo-foo to me, mm. but there's a patient that I, I want to try what you have to say. I want to try it out. And she was actually a former employee and she is is very locked in she's nonverbal right now she's very rigid i can only get her to walk about six meters doing everything i can um because there was some issues with carbon monoxide that you know basically locked her in and so i said all right let's see what we can do and i go in build a little bit of a rapport she's from cuba and the only you know song that i unfortunately knew from cuba was guantanamera and so I offered it, you know, you, you can only give what you have. And so I said, I, you know, this is what I have. And, um, you know, I know a little bit about RIS. I still haven't gone for my M, uh, NMP training, but I will this weekend, you know, so I will be prepared, but let's just try it. Let's see what we can do. And wouldn't you know it, that woman lit up with music. And from the previous day where the PT could only walk six meters with the walker doing everything she could, this woman walked 76 meters with music. Mm. My first patient 
the first day, the earliest win I could possibly get. And it was like a holy setup because it was what, what there's a book called like the first 90 days. It's what the first 90 days calls an early win. As soon as administration heard what was going on, the, the administrator came up to me and was like, just letting you know, you're going to be here for a while. <laughs> and I was like, all right, sounds pretty cool. And, and from there, it was almost like, it was like this divine, divine intervention. Like we're like not to, you know, over romanticize it or put it on this weird spiritual pedal, but it, it, it was like things were happening and I was at the right place at the right time. Mm. And for me, I kind of saw the grace that I mentioned earlier, like the grace was there and I just, I just walked in it. I just leaned in it. And I said, I don't always know what I'm doing, but I'm going to show up. I'm going to be willing. Um, and that's all I have to be is just to be willing, you know, because I know the time that I've put into my, my, my skills and my guitars and my repertoire and, you know, my, my knowledge of history and music, you know, like I'm doing everything that I can to connect. And hopefully there will be just a moment where the magic will happen. Right. And over the years, that magic has been there. That magic has not been. But what I've done is just learned where the magic is. And the magic is the team that you get to work with. You know, the, the magic is coming from a really sad or hard patient and being able just to be with a coworker and spend time talking it out or strategizing or, or just crying and, you know, realizing we're just going to be there for them. But this isn't something that, you know, we're going to be able to improve that much while they're here. But you know what? We're going to try to make their life as best as possible and give them as many tools as possible. And I love my team. I love my team. It's just been such an honor to be, you know, just getting to do music therapist, you know, therapy alongside all these other fabulous therapies. And there's one therapy in particular that I know you're interested in because it's awesome. And it is the animal assisted therapy program that we have here at the hospital. Um, I, I freaking love this program. I am one of the handlers for our therapy dog and yo, it's just been so much fun. The, the way I got to a chance to become a handler is because when I came aboard, there was this dog and I, I just couldn't get enough of her. Like couldn't get enough. And I would always play with her. I would just love on her and you know just we would play and often she would walk away from patients just to be with me no matter where i was in the rehab gym if i would walk in if i would sneak through the back she just always knew i was there i guess she could smell me i i don't know what i smell like uh, i hope i never have to know uh and i'm sorry if i offend <laughs> um but, but we just had this crazy connection and so you know the higher up saw it and they're like we want to we want to train you to be a therapy handler because this is a very important program and a, and a, a, a huge initiative that we're trying to bring to the patients uh, in their pursuit of recovery because dogs just connect with people mm -hmm. in a way that humans can't. And this is something, it's a service we want to provide and they trusted me, you know, they trusted me with it. And so it's been, it's been a journey and it's been so fun and so good. And yeah, what, what would you like to know about animal assisted therapy? Anything and everything. Um, so this is something that I, you know, when back when Trisha was in high school and junior high, it's like, what are you going to do with your life? And animal assisted therapy is kind of one of those things I had played with. Uh, but obviously there's a the variable that you need an animal. And um, 
I was not in a position to <laughs> acquire an animal to yeah. do that with. But I obviously did my music therapy undergrad. And I remember a, uh, a student in one of my classes once was like, I really want to do animal assisted therapy with music therapy. I, I think that would be so cool. And I was like, yes, love it. that would be awesome. And, you know, it was kind of those things that I hadn't really heard anything else about. And then I saw this forum on Facebook and you commented and I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is happening. This is a thing. <laughs> and I need to I need to learn more about it. So, yeah, yeah you kind of told us how you got started. Are you still working with the same dog or do you guys have a different a different dog? So we, now? we do have a different dog only because that specific dog made it until she was 11. Her name was Liz. Uh, we named her after Liz Taylor. Liz is a golden retriever. Um, Liz worked here for nine years. So she, you know, she came to us when she was just two years old and normally all the therapy dogs through, uh, ECAD, which is, um, East coast assistance dogs. That's the nonprofit organization that we go through. Uh, they train dogs up until they're two. I mean, these dogs go through so much training from, you know, ever since they're, they're a puppy, just puppy, puppy, uh, until two, and they have to pass a bunch of tests to become a facility dog. Mm -hmm. So we get them around the age of two and, uh, Liz was just so much fun. And, and each therapy dog has their own personality that you just have to connect with and honor and, and understand. And Liz was very dominant mm -hmm. and was kind of what we call lazy, but she just did what she wanted to do. And that was that, like she would let, she was alpha. She was always alpha. And I was not, I was not alpha. I was, you know, fresh off, you know, just, just the hospice train and just wanting to <laughs> wanting just to hi how are you and she's like oh i got this guy i got this guy he's gonna give me every treat in the book and i did uh i did but uh you know she was such an asset to what we have here and uh you know she did pass away when she was uh 11 just a couple years ago and so we did have a huge huge celebration of life for her we we put a stone with her name in our garden of remembrance we you know held a party uh, and, and, and we like to honor the dogs every year that they have a birthday. We always have a huge party at, at our hospital where all the other th therapy dogs from the system come in together. There's about six and they all just run around and play with each other. And then there's a big birthday cake with a huge, that looks like a huge bone. And, you know, we're all just kind of gathered around and we're giving them gifts and squeaky toys. And it's probably the most wholesome thing you'll ever experience in your life. And I love ECAD because you can actually go on their website, ecad1.org, and see they have a live stream of their dog's training oh, cool. every Tuesday. And the stream of, they also have a different stream of, of their newest litter of puppies, like playing and feeding and sleeping, and it's always on. And it's so cool because every year, part of you know being a nonprofit, you have to fundraise. Their fundraiser is whoever gives the most money gets to name the litter of puppies. And so our latest therapy dog that we got is actually Liz's great niece because they're kind of all related, right? Yeah. Her name is Mesa Verde, uh, which translates to green table, but her litter was named after state parks uh, in the US. Yeah, so it's it's just such a cool system and, and they change so many people's lives, patients and employees because, you know, it's, it's a, it's a secondary joy uh, just to just to be able to, you know, we work so hard and we always get a lift 
out of giving her affection or kisses or hugs or the butt scratches, you know, I mean, it just, <laughs> it just makes your whole day better. Yeah. And, um, we get to use her for therapy purposes. You know, a lot of people just use maybe like therapy dogs for like emotional support, but, but these dogs know how to work and they are given 84 commands. As a handler, I spent a whole week learning those commands, learning how to interact, how to speak, how to, you know, react if something goes wrong. And it is difficult for music therapists to be a, a handler at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, part of what, you know, people who are looking into this program have to realize it is it, it does take a team to be able to handle this dog uh, only because a dog needs a break. A dog needs a place to rest, a safe place to rest that's quiet. Um, a dog sometimes needs two hands, you know, especially to, to control instead of just one. So it's it's harder to try to, you know, be both and. And so where my uh, my job is kind of built around it's it's you know i'm a therapist but i'm not required by medicare to give patients three hours of therapy a day so my schedule is a little bit more flexible where i can be fully present with the dog um, outside of just being a music therapist so it's that is an important distinction i would say Uh, but there are some moments that we get to co-treat where i get to be the music therapist and the pet handler and those moments are you know it's perfect because you know the patient starts you know reminiscing about the music while petting the dog and then you usually get stories that intertwined and you know it's it's just a really cool thing research is showing about the effects of of animals on people and we see the oxytocin levels of just petting a dog according to uh, i think olindahl in 2003 had um you know records of oxytocin in both human and dog increasing. So this, this, the, the hormone, the love hormone, the cuddle hormone increased in both levels of dopamine, uh, cortisol rather, cortisol decreased in humans. Yeah. So our stress levels decreased anytime we pet a dog, but the level of stress, the cortisol actually either maintained or actually slightly increased in dogs. So the dogs are clearly working, yeah. right? And so they are as, you know, yes, the cuddles are going on, they're connected, they're loving it, but at the same time, it's work for them. They're a little stressed out just because they have to kind of give, you know, back to us. And so it's important to have an area outside where they can go outside and be a dog because once the harness is on, right, once the harness is on that, that they have to wear, it's a tactile cue that it's time to work. Mm. Once the harness comes off, they're trained to know that they don't have to work anymore. And they get to be, you know, just a puppy and they can run around. And if there's an area outside that they can run around in, you know, let them go for it. And, and yeah. And so we just, you know, we reward with treats. Cheerios are the best reward system <laughs> that you'll ever find. Cause they're low calorie. Yeah. It's a great snack. Uh, toys, of course. And just a lot of rubs, you know, because they just, they just need time to play and just to be who they are. So it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, so it sounds like uh, these these dogs are um, maybe residents at the facility you're working at. So that's pretty cool that that your your facility has um, taken the initiative to get this program started and sees the value. And one of the things 
I think is so cool between music therapy and animal assisted therapy is that both mediums, the music and the animal are such innate motivators, Mm. right? To get people to do the work, to, to walk 76 meters instead of six meters and do those things that like, even if like with, at least in my mind, like the research about hormones and like heart rate and like all that is super valid, but like, why do you need anything other than this is motivating? So it's working. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Isn't that enough? Isn't that valid? So uh, like you said, you know, it's hard to do both music therapy and animal assisted therapy at the same time, because, you know, it's hard enough to do one of those things at a time. <laughs> but it's so cool to hear that, especially when you can co-treat, you are able to, to meld the two and to yeah. get that like, you know, two for one, go even deeper into the work and, um, you don't have to put on one hat and take off the other all the time that it is Absolutely. possible. Yeah. You can be so creative in your approach. You know, if a PT is walking a patient, you know, and they're only getting six meters, let the patient walk the dog, just yeah. follow right along, alongside, you know, let them walk 50 meters, let them show themselves they can do it. We, I, I have a lot of patients who have a stroke and who have aphasia after the stroke mm. and they work extra hard to be able to project their voice and to communicate with a dog to give them the basic commands because they love them, you know, yeah. they love them. And especially our younger clients that come in with limited range of motion because whatever they're going through, oh, they just, oh, they do everything they can in their power to reach out to be able to pet that dog because it is so gratifying and so motivating. And it's just, a, it's so beautiful to watch because only a dog can make that happen, you know? And I just wish you could meet her. I wish you could meet her. <laughs> She's just like so cute. I can't, I can't. I just, I, we're so, ugh. I have too many pictures of that dog on my phone, for real. Like I put a TikTok of her on her, on my TikTok. And like, it was the first time I like reached 20K. I was just like, everybody knows it. She's the best. Yeah, it's so great. Anyway, I'm going to try to come off that because <laughs> I could, I, you'll hear a lot of different voices if I go into more stories. Oh. So, well, so yeah. what does, I know every session is different. Every day is different, but if yeah. like an ideal session where you were co-treating and the dog was there, what does that look like? How, how does that play out? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, once again, it's, it's a matter of the needs of the patient, right? It's yeah. the needs of the person that you're, the individual that you're, you're working with. Um, and an ideal session would just be, you know, I mean that the, the patient is able to walk the dog to be at least, you know, independent enough and, and safe enough, you know, using, uh, having good gait, I'm sorry, having good, uh, gait mechanics. I think that's the word safe gait mechanics enough that they're at, uh, the ability to do that and walk the dog while you're doing something like RAS. Right. Mm. Um, and I, I like to see functional outcomes happen when a brain is exposed to music. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I get excited when it comes into like the reminiscence and life review, you know, some of these like great stories that come out, that's beautiful too. But like, for me, I just really love to see like a body responding to this external stimulus that you're providing it, you know, through the clicks or through the music and just to see the functional change in their body. And then to see 
a dog on top of that because you're reteaching them and giving them confidence on how to, you know, go home and walk their own dog because they have a dog at home and they're so scared because they want to be able to be there for the dog like they were prior to their accident. And you just want to give them every tool and every experience possible and simulate those tools, you know, those experiences to match the real world, you know, experiences. So they feel more prepared. Mm. And, and that's what, you know, my ideal situation would be to be, you know, be able to kind of be a little bit more hands-free to be able to do what I can do clinically, musically, and still see them light up like a Christmas tree with the dog present. Okay. One more on this topic, unless there's somewhere, another avenue you want to go on. But for a music therapist, like um, this person I went to school with who was interested in this. So for someone who is a music therapist and wants to look into animal assisted therapy or wants to propose it to their facility or what have you, what suggestions do you have or where can they get started? Yeah, Um, I would say find what's worked. Yeah. Find what's worked. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. Find testimonials from organizations that have successfully partnered with facilities in the past or that continually, you know, are partnering with facilities. Reach out to those facilities. See if it's a good match. Um, you know, why not? I mean, I, I can tell you all the, the books and the websites and the articles that are out there, but that that won't necessarily move an administrator's heart, you know, to decide that, you know, we're going to have to logistically figure out all this stuff, you know, like an article isn't going to do that. But, but if they see a nonprofit or another business thriving and, you know, especially throughout the pandemic, they survived the pandemic, you know, they're, 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 they understand, right. They let their water boil about, you know, what to do to prevent, you know, infection, the, the infection control policies are in place for our dogs to be able to safely go into your facilities. You know, even at this time, I mean, for us, ECAD has been that partner and ECAD has just really stayed on top of their game. Um, they're awesome. They're awesome. And they, they give just great quality animals, you know, and they devote a lot of time, a lot of attention to making sure that their their animals are where they need to be, you know, in order for them to, you know, live and exist at these facilities for 12, 14 years yeah. and work and have happy and healthy careers because that's their whole lives, right? Mm-hmm. That's the whole life of a dog. Um, and so for anyone listening, they don't actually stay here at the facility. Okay. <laughs> they go home with somebody. They have a what, what's called a, a home handler. And so they actually get to go home and be a dog. So they work eight hours a day or however long it is, but then they have to go home. And just be a dog. It's it's part of them being able to have good mental health for sure. Yeah. 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 I have um I do contract work and I have a school that I go to that they have the therapy dog goes on the same day I go. And it's the same thing. He gets dropped off in the morning, he does his thing, and then he gets picked up at the end of the day. So he doesn't necessarily have like a staff handler with him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, he that's, I mean, that sounds cool. I wish I could send my dog to work every day so she could go like go to a school and be with kids. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And if you have a team in place, maybe you are the only therapist, but if you have some non-clinical workers, you know, that might be trained as handlers. I mean, they can maybe make more comfort visits mm-hmm. than maybe specific therapy visits or goals. Um, you know, maybe that comfort, you know, visit 
is actually part of the pain management, you know, system in, in, in your workplace. You know, if that's what you kind of want to do the umbrella under as the pain management system, because it's, mm. it's legit, you know? Um, yeah, it, it, there's creative solutions to everything. It, it's just finding your champions, you know, who are the higher ups, who are, you know, the people kind of calling the shots and expressing the need. And, you know, if you can come with some solutions in place, most likely the organization that has had good, you know, success in the past, they already know those, those situations and those solutions. So if you just pick their brain, start that relationship, build that rapport, they're probably going to want to help you, you know, figure it out. Yeah. I love that. Hope you enjoyed that chat and you're looking forward to part two next week. I don't know if you've ever been interested in animal assisted therapy or the prospect of combining that with music therapy, but as you heard, it's something that's kind of been on my radar. It's something that people in my life have mentioned. And uh, when I saw that Trent was, was doing this and had this experience, I immediately reached out to him. Uh, obviously, our conversation took us so many other ways that were so informative and um, yeah, such a good conversation. But that just knowing that combinations like this are are happening and they're important and they're being valued by institutions. And um, yeah, those those locations can be a model for those of us looking to implement these other alternative therapies so i will obviously have everything linked in the show notes if you're looking for the resources mentioned um, to look into providing animal assisted therapy yourself or pitching the idea to your place of work as always please consider leaving us a rating and review those really are so supportive i love hearing your kind words and they help the podcast be more visible also, find us on social media and engage on there. It's so nice to hear from you all and um, say hi and hear, you know, who you're interested in having on the show. Some of you just have the best ideas for episode topics too, and I, I so appreciate that. So yeah, please, please let me know over there. And if you are an avid listener of the show and want to get CMTEs for the listening you've done, you can purchase CMTE courses at mtpodcastcollective.com. Each course uh, includes three podcasts that if you've already listened to, you've done a, a brunt of the work, the bulk of the work for the course. And then it comes with an exclusive workbook to do some guided self-study and an office hour. So definitely check those out at mtpodcastcollective.com. Thank you so much for making the time to listen to this week's episode and stay tuned for part two with Trent next week. I've been wondering if you'd ever want to talk. Said a lot of things, but I just ain't said enough. All your friends saying that you're way better off on your own. Cause I wasn't ready to love the way you It's over, but I
Still keep 